recall, I, I hope, if you were here, uh, that last Sunday night, as we considered uh, Paul's hopes that he had for the Colossian believers, you recall that what we did is we looked back the way, didn't we? We saw sort of Paul's desire for the Colossian believers to sort of grow in their faith, and we kind of asked ourselves, as we look back in 2014, could it be said of us that we have grown in, 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 in faith? That's what we were asking. If we look back over the last 12 months, could it be said of us that we have flourished? Flourished in Jesus Christ. Well, I, I guess in some ways, here's the, the, the deal. We could regard tonight, tonight's sermon, as the sort of partner uh, to last week's sermon. Last week, what did I say? We look back. Tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to look forward. Last week we asked, okay, how have we lived in 2014? Tonight we're going to ask something different. We're going to ask, wait a minute, how should I be living? How do I intend to live for Jesus Christ in 2015? Okay, so that, that's, that, that's the idea, the plan. We're going to look forward. I suppose before we get into this, before we dig into this anyway, I've kind of got to address the elephant in the room. Well, it's not much an elephant, a baby elephant in the room. Because you might be sort of uh, thinking, Andy, why two verses? You know, we're trying to get through the, the letters to the Colossians. Why not a much big, why not just hit the next, to the end of the chapter? Why? Why just two verses? Let me tell you why. These, these two verses that we've got here, verses 6 and 7, they uh, function in a very, very important way in the letter to the Colossians. Now, they, they, they work in two ways, these verses. They, they serve as an introduction to the rest of the book. So verses 6 and 7, they serve as an introduction to Paul sort of launching more of an attack on, on the false teaching. So they serve as an introduction, verses 6 and 7. They also, though, serve as a bit of a summary of everything Paul has said up to now in, in chapters 1 and chapters 2. So when we see that, I guess we can probably agree with what one commentator said. He said... Verses 6 and 7 are grand. He said, verses 6 and 7 are truly the hinge to the whole of the letter of Colossians. So that's, that's why. They're important. So that's why we're just looking at two verses, verses 6 and 7. Okay, that's, that's the elephant in the room dealt with. Let's, let's look at this. So I invite you to please turn with me to, uh, to Colossians chapter 2. And let's consider firstly, this is our first heading, that the, the Christian life is a life of action. The Christian life is a life of action. And I, I tell you what, hear what we're going to do in this first heading is just to simply think about the first phrase that Paul says there in verse 6. And then we're going to just try and answer two questions about it. Okay, that's, that's all. So, do you see what the phrase is? 
He says, I'll read it. He says, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. So that's the phrase. All we're going to do is just try and answer two very simple questions. You ready for the questions, right? First question, what exactly is it that the Colossians are said to have received there? What does Paul say? He says, you've received Christ Jesus. All right, let me ask you this. What springs to mind when you hear that expression? Receive Christ Jesus. What what springs to mind? Is it a neo-charismatic sort of youth event? You know, receive Christ Jesus. You know, all the, the young people are there and there's a big Christian band playing, big loudspeakers, big light show. And towards the end of the night, the kids have been jumping about, hands in the air, and the emotions are, you know, just belting out everywhere. And at the end of the night, one of the band steps forward. And he says, if you haven't done so already, please receive Christ Jesus. Is that what you, is that what you think? Is that what... Paul's talking about here? Of course not. What we have to understand is that that word, that that word receive here, is actually a technical word. It is a technical word for the reception of an oral tradition. So think with me about Moses. Just think Moses hand on, you know, the laws orally to, to the next generation, let's say. That is what Paul's talking about here. He's saying that these Colossians have received not just that sort of idea of Christ into your heart, but he's saying that these Colossians have received oral tradition. They have received teaching from Epaphras about the gospel, a block of teaching about the gospel. So that's what they've received. Yeah, okay, fine. But we should also notice, I suppose, how Paul does phrase it. I mean, what what is it he, he says? He says, you received, you received Christ. You received Christ Jesus. So he is saying, remember, Justice in the hymn of praise in chapter 1. Justice when he's talking about the mystery of God in chapter 1. He is saying that this oral tradition you've received from Epaphras, this gospel, it is entirely centered upon the lordship of Christ. It is all about Jesus. So what is it the Colossians have received? They've received teaching but teaching all about Jesus. Okay, that was the first question. What's the second question? Here you go. What is it that the Colossians are called to do now that they've received this teaching? So what is it here? What does Paul say? What is it they are called to do now that they've received this teaching? But what does Paul say? Have a look in your Bibles. Verse 6. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. What's the next bit? Continue to live in him. Um, What we've got to see there, I I suppose, is that the language is actually really evocative. 
you know, uh, in, the, in the original language anyway, is very evocative. So it's not that Paul's saying continue to live in Christ. It's, it's slightly different. What Paul says there, just as you've received Christ Jesus, Lord, continue to walk. That's what it is, literally. is continue to walk, walk in Jesus Christ. Now, do, do, you, do you see what that tells us tonight? Tells us simply that the, the Christian life is, is a walk. <laughs> it's something that involves action. You know, the Christian life is something that involves movement. The, the Christian life is, is not just us placing our trust in Jesus Christ and then just taking our foot off the gas. That our belief has to impact our behavior. Hear this. The Christian life is not a point. Christian life is not a dot. The Christian life, it's a line. And I think we see here the type of walk that is expected of you and me. Because what does Paul say? He doesn't just say continue to walk. What does he say? Look at it. He says continue to walk in him. That yes, we... There's an expectation upon us that we are supposed to be active as Christians. But do you see how intimate and beautiful it is? In our Christian life, Christ does not walk ahead of us and we follow him. Not just that. Christ does not just walk beside us. It's not. Do you see what it is? We are walking in him. Our walk is to be entirely consistent with this gospel, this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that we have received. Now, every time we stop and think about the, the Christian life, don't we, don't we find it particularly challenging? But I think there's a couple of problems that we can fall into as Christians that this verse speaks to. A couple of problems. And this verse speaks to them very, very loudly. Now, follow me on this, these problems. Um, in, the, in the mess, the real mess that is the Christian scene in London, uh, I hear something uh, with ever-increasing regularity. And it's a pride in Reformed theology. So you, you'll know how it'll, it'll be. Like, I, at the end of the service, what I, I do is go at the, go at the door... And uh, if there's a visitor, I'll, I'll speak to them and I'll usually ask them, you know, what, what's brought you to the, the church? What, 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 why are you here? Do you know what I hear quite a lot? A visitor will say, it's because I love Reformed theology. Love Reformed theology. Reformed theology is so robust. It is, you know, internally sort of coherent. I hear this a lot. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't think there's anything wrong with being passionate about Reformed theology, but you do see, don't you, from verse 6, what Paul would say to that. I mean, he would say, it's great that you love your theological position, but you see that, that theology that you love so much, it has to result in, in a change of life. It has to change the way that you walk. Look what he says, just as you have received it. Just as you've received Christ Jesus, you must continue to live, to walk in him. So that's one problem. But there is another problem. 
You see, uh, so much of, of Christian life and so much of church life is about winning people for Jesus, isn't it? You know, the way that we construct everything rightly, rightly, is about trying to win people for, for Christ. It's about conversion. Now, that's, that's fine, but do you see what can happen? What can happen is that when we are converted, when that happens, we just go, phew. You know, wow. Pressure's off. I'm saved. I don't have to worry about it anymore. You know, we can think, okay, I, I realize that I've got to maybe read my Bible now and again, tick that box, and I've, I've got to go to church, I guess, but whew, okay, I'm saved. Uh, I'm converted, pressure's off. Again, you see what Paul would say to that, don't you? He would say to you in here just now, he would say to all of us, that we have to start seeing our conversion as the beginning and not the end of our spiritual life. The beginning of our spiritual life, not the end of it, that, that God has in his grace, in his goodness, he has saved us, but he expects now, what he, what he wants now is a life of action. He wants a life of movement. He wants us to continue in his son. So I ask you tonight, are you doing that? In fact, I tell you what, let me change the question. We're looking forward tonight. So will you do that? Will you live in 2015 in a way that is so united to Christ Will you live in a way that is so consistent with this glorious gospel that you have received, that it, that it will be said of you, that it could be said of you in the next 12 months, that your faith has not in any way stagnated, that you are a Christian who is active. We are Christians who are actually living this, that we are living and living in him. So we see that the Christian life is a life of action. Action. Secondly, we see here that the Christian life is a life of development. Development. Okay, so you're following me so far. In the first point in verse 6, Paul's kind of told us what is expected of us. We don't just believe, but we continue in Christ. Now, In this second point, in verse 7, what Paul does, very helpfully, is not just tell us what is expected of us as Christians. In verse 7, he tells us how we are supposed to to do this, how we are supposed to live for Christ. And even if you just glance over verse 7, you'll see that what he does is use a few metaphors uh, to talk about how we live for Jesus Christ. Now, uh, we're not going to look at all of these. Um, we'll just say one or two things a- a- about a couple of them. Okay. Now, um, she's not here tonight, as I look around. But on Wednesday night at our Bible study, Joan came along and she was very 
Uh, she was kind enough to, to bring Catherine and myself a gift, a, gu- a gift of a gardening book. Now, uh, I fear that Joan is only going to be disappointed by the sort of effects of this gardening book, because un- un- unless, uh, you know, Catherine overnight sort of becomes very sort of green-fingered, nothing much is going to change in the garden, because I certainly am I'm no gardener, you know? Um, but it is, it is the sphere of the, the botanical that we actually have to be thinking about here, isn't it? Look at the start of verse 7. Paul says that, that, that we continue. How do we continue? We continue in, in Christ. Yes, continued rooted in Jesus. Now, now the, 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 the picture, the idea there, of course, is of a tree, something that is rooted. But you see the emphasis, don't you? Rooted. He's saying that we are firmly established in Christ. That is about being firmly rooted, rooted, firmly implanted to him. And, 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 and I suppose it's worth noting that unlike all the rest of the verbs here and all the, the rest of the words, this idea of being rooted here is in the perfect tense. See what that means? It means it's something that's happened and is ongoing. It means that in our salvation, we have been rooted to Jesus Christ. And it means in our salvation, we ever will be rooted to Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that's, that's great, isn't it? It's gorgeous to see that. But do you see the implication of that for how you and I are to live in 2015? Do you see the implication? We are rooted to Jesus Christ. Now, that means that you and I can go into the workplace or go in amongst our friends. It means that we, when we're trying to win people for Christ, it means that we can have a conversation about a different faith or a different belief or a different ideology. We can speak to people and we don't have to worry about being affected by these things being dragged away by these things. We don't have to worry ever about these things jeopardizing our salvation. Why not? Because we are rooted to Christ. As Christians, we are entirely immovable. In 2015, you go into any conversation you want. You don't have to worry about it. You can live in the next 12 months in the light of the knowledge that you are safe and secure a saints. We're rooted to Christ. But then there's this second image, and it's this one I really want us to focus on. So please look at it with me. So he says next. He says, we continue to live in Christ. And how do we do that? We do it in the light of the fact that we are rooted and built up. Built up in him. Now, if you're perceptive and you're you're paying attention to what Paul's doing there, you might want to pick him up on something. (laughs) You might want to say, okay, Paul, I mean, I like it, but you're mixing your metaphors, man. (laughs) You know, he's going from a tree being rooted to a a building being built up. Mixing your metaphors. Do you know what? He is mixing his metaphors. Do you know what else? He does this an awful lot. He mixes 
this idea of the botanical with the architectural. He does this an awful lot. Why does he do it? Because it works. He does it because it's fantastic. It's great imagery, isn't it? The Christian life as a building being built. Something that rises from the ground. Something that is being put together piece by piece. But hear this, I I want us just to to pause there and and just stop and um, just to think about what it is that God is saying to you and to me at this point in Scripture. Because please hear this, um, this idea that we're talking about here is something that is passing us by as the Christian church in, in, in this country, in this age. It's, it's something that is immensely important, this idea. And it's something that we don't do. And it's something that we don't pay heed of at all. I mean, think about what, what Paul's saying. He's saying, you live your faith, you're to be active as Christians. We get that. That's the first point, we get that. We're supposed to be active. You see what he's saying there, and this idea being built up? He, he, he's saying that the Christian life is to be something that grows. He's saying that the, the Christian life is to be something that is expanding all the time. You see, that's something that, that we're, we're not just moving. It's not just active. It's something that, that, that's almost evolving. Remember what I said? That the Christian life is not a dot, it's a line. You remember I said that? But what Paul's saying there is that it's not a dot... It's not even a line. It always has to be a line that's going up the way. Like, I don't know what it's like for you in the workplace, but I would imagine that many of you have training courses that you you go on, do you? Or maybe you have exams that you have to sit in the workplace, things to sort of enhance your skill set or whatever. You see what Paul's saying? Paul's saying that that's what the Christian life is, 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 is supposed to be. That the Christian life is to grow. It is to blossom constantly. It is to be mushrooming. Now, 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 how do we do that? If you and I are supposed to, in 2015, develop all the time as Christians, what, what do we do? How do we do this? Well, what, I wonder, do you see the emphasis in this first part of Colossians? It has been on the Lordship of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? The Lordship of Christ. He even says that in verse 6. Now, what does Lordship infer? It infers that we submit to him. Do you see what we are supposed to do to, to develop and grow as Christians in the next 12 months? We are supposed to be constantly putting to the side all of our wants as Christians. We are supposed to be putting to the side all the sort of unbiblical aspects of our character and to grow and flourish as Christians, to mushroom as Christians. We're supposed to be seeking to replace those things with what our master, our sovereign, what what our Lord wants for us. You want to develop? You want to grow as a Christian? You do that. Well, that's part of it in a way. But there is another aspect to it. Now hear this. If we are going to develop and grow as Christians, in 2015, we need to utilize what God has given to us. 
Now, I think it was last week, maybe it was two weeks ago. It gets a bit fuzzy for me. But I I said in a sermon at some stage uh, that never before have Christians had such access to, to Christian resources. I think it was last week I said that. Now, it's true, isn't it? If you think about our forefathers and generations past, you know, compare that to what we have now. Now, we've got commentaries. If we want them, we've got com- commentaries coming out of our ears, you know? And we've got online resources, all these Christian online resources. And, and we've got apps. I was talking about this with somebody else this, this week. You know, there's courses in the States that cost tens of thousands of pounds to, to attend. But they provide the whole course by an app for free. We have all these sort of resources. We've got Bible studies. We've got prayer meetings. Do you see what all of these things are? We're talking about being built up. All of these things are building blocks that are just being left lying around. Now, what happens because of our sinful tendency is that, and this is staggering but true, that even in the church, we mock people who do that, don't we? Like we mock people who read and study properly their Bible. You know, we mock people if they go out and buy commentaries and take it seriously and they're listening to online sermons and there's this element this this nasty element of sort of ridicule that hangs over all of that but do you see what we're learning tonight in scripture god desires god desires for the continuous building up of 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 his people Why? What would happen if we're built up? Let me ask you, what what happens to a building? What happens when a building rises floor by floor in its construction? What happens? The view you get over the city, it improves. Well, as we are built up in Jesus Christ, what will happen is that we will see a increasingly splendid view of our salvation. If we are built up in Jesus Christ in 2015, we will rise and we will see an increasingly splendid view of our Savior. I tell you, this is important. This is important. Let us seek over the next 12 months to be built up and built up in the Lord. So the Christian life is a life of action, but the Christian life is a life of development. And then the third and last thing this evening, the Christian life is a life of gratitude. Now, we spoke this morning ever so briefly about Christmas buzzwords, words like joy and and peace. I think I, I, I left out one of the most obvious ones, thankfulness. You know, people talk about Christmas being the time where you reflect and pause on all that you have to be thankful for. 
It is that. It is a sense of gratitude that stands and casts a shadow over everything that Paul says in these crucial verses, verses 6 and 7. Can I just read to you how this ends? I'll I'll read verse 7 again. How do we live? We live rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Do you see how it stands at the end? And it casts a shadow over everything. Now, what does Paul have in mind? What's he talking about there? Overflowing with thankfulness. Well, it is this idea that the, the whole of your active and developing Christian life, that it should be characterized by an atmosphere of thanksgiving and, and, and gratitude. Now, that sounds a wee bit sort of new agey, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like a wee bit sort of airy-fairy, an atmosphere of thankfulness. But what Paul's got in mind here is something much more concrete. He is talking about real functioning gratitude. He's talking about you in 2015 throwing yourself into thanksgiving in prayer like you've never done before. Throwing yourself into praising God and thanking Him for, for all these things that He's given you. Paul's talking about there, you coming to church and, and coming thankful, listening to the sermon, singing to God and being consciously considering what it is that He has done for you and praising Him and, 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 and thanking Him for it. That's what he's talking about here. So I just want to end like this. Just want to end with us thinking about what it is that we should be thankful for tonight, this Christmas, what is it we should be thankful for? I just want to give you two things that we should be thankful for. The first one is going to sound strange, but bear with me, okay? We should be thankful because these verbs, all the rest of these verbs, are passive verbs. Do you see what that means? Look what he says. This idea of built up. It is being built up. We are being built up. We are being strengthened. Do you see what it means? It means these things are happening to us. Do you see it? That There is, in 2015, this great responsibility that we have to work at, at, at being active, to work at, at being built up. But at the same time, ultimately what we have to see is that God is doing these things to us. He is doing these things for us. He is doing these things in us. That He hasn't just saved you. He has given you the Holy Spirit. That you sort of might have heard the, the, the first part of the sermon and thought, this sounds really great. You know, this idea of me studying the Bible in 2015, listening to sermons online, all that sort of commentaries. I can't do that. There's no way. I don't even want to do that. Do you see it? You can do that. Because God is working in your heart. He is building you up. We are thankful because these verbs are passive verbs. And then the the very last thing. We should be thankful because of how we are told this gospel, this oral tradition, 
has come to us. Let me ask you to to go back to verse 6 in your head and to how all of this started, this crucial two-verse section. How did it start? What did Paul say? He said, just as you received Christ Jesus, just as you received Christ Jesus, Do you see what we have to be thankful for? We didn't attain this. Your salvation tonight, you did not merit it. You did not work towards it. You did not get it like that. You received that. Your salvation, all of this, is a gift. I know you've got Christmas presents to organize this week and wrap and go buy. You probably see all the more vividly this gift that we have to be thankful for. Can I ask you as we close, are you thankful as a Christian? Are you tonight thankful to your God for what he's done for you? If not, can I say that you should be? He has provided you with a clean heart. He's providing you with a, a renewed mind. He's given you a new a new family. He's given you a new father. He's given you forgiveness for your sin. He's given you new joy. He's given you love that you have never experienced before, ever before. Are you thankful that Jesus Christ has died? He has died and he's died for you. If you are, go live walk. In 2015, you have nothing to fear. He has saved you. He is building you up. And and forevermore, the beauty of it all, forevermore, you are rooted. Rooted to Jesus Christ. Let's pray.